Hey everybody, this is Aaron and Jim. We're back with another Commission podcast, this time for the movie Quill. It's a movie that came out in the year 2000, directed by Philip Kaufman, uh, written by Doug Wright. It stars Joffrey Rush, Kate Winslet, Joaquin Phoenix, Michael Caine. Also, for you True Blood fans, uh, got a very young Stephen Moyer uh, playing a role of a uh, libertine architect. I'm not even sure if I'm using it right word right. Mm-hmm. It was sponsored or commissioned by Carolyn Youngstrom, Carolina Youngstrom. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, Carolina. Uh, I'm famous for butchering foreign names, and uh, she's from <laughs> Stockholm, Sweden. Yeah. Uh, so I'm kind of rolling the dice there. Uh, but thank you very much. And Absolutely. if you would like to find out information on how you can sponsor your favorite television show or movie to be podcasted about, you can go to subbable.com slash baldmove. Let's talk about Quills. Uh, this right. is a movie set in France during the Reign of Terror, which is roughly 19, uh, 1793 to 1794. Napoleon has taken power, uh, the aristocracy, and a lot of the college-educated professional types are being put against the wall or beheaded by the guillotine in this case. I looked it up, and something like 17,000 people were beheaded in the streets of Paris, and another 25,000 summarily executed throughout France during this one-year period. Hmm. We see a lot of the repercussions of this uh, throughout the movie, which I'm sure we'll talk about. What did you think? Let's just talk about our, our thoughts. Um, you go first. I was not expecting this movie uh, in really any way. Uh, when I heard the name Quills and I saw the stars, I was like, mm, I like some of these people. The, the subject matter is not right up my alley. Mm. But after watching it, I thought it was, I don't, I don't want to say enjoyable, I want to say thought-provoking. I want to say interesting. Uh, yeah, super engrossing. And, and I'm, it, it is engrossing. Yes, that's a good word for it. Not not enjoyable, necessarily. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it, it was there are great performances. Surprisingly funny in places. Uh, yes, yeah. Uh, surprisingly funny, but it gives you a lot to think about uh, the nature of people and the 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 dark side of that and the light side of that and how those come together uh, in very interesting ways. So I was kind of braced for a different experience because I I went on to Wikipedia and kind of read the, uh, not the synopsis, but just to see like, you know, is this a foreign film, that kind of stuff. And they mentioned that this film was about the Maquis de Sade, uh, which if you know, as a historical figure, he is a, you know, aristocrat from France who is known for, uh, well, first of all, the word sadism is named after him. Yeah. Uh, he wrote a lot of uh, stories about sadism, uh, blending sex and violence, pleasure and pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this is not about the real Marquise Mar- 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 de Sade. This is not about the historical figure because the historical figure did some fairly reprehensible things. Uh, there's a lot of stories and, and allegations. I don't know if they're true or not because I haven't really studied history that he actually killed people and in indulging some of these things. And he spent a lot of time in yeah. prison and mental institutions leg- legitimately. This film kind of takes a more literary take where he is a an author that is in a uh, mental institution uh, in lieu of being in prison because his, his wealthy and influential wife uh, kind of pulled some strings to get him in that. 
Mm-hmm. But I was braced because I'm like, oh my god, Maki de Sad. Uh, it it got sure. a an, an M18 rating in Britain, which I think is kind of like the one step above what we'd consider R. Mm-hmm. Uh, due to strong horror, violent sex, sexual violence, and nudity, I'm like, Jesus, what is this <laughs> thing? What are we going to be in for? Honestly fairly tame yeah yeah i really think it got that rating because you see full frontal male nudity which people just can't fucking handle you can't handle you put a dick on screen game over jeff joffrey rush you have his flopping wiener around and that's sure that's an x rating right there yeah i think kevin bacon got away with it right with an r rating did he kevin's bacon was hanging out kevin's but yeah kevin's shown his bacon before more horrifically we had Full frontal backal male nudity. Yeah. yeah, that shot of Jeffrey Rush when he first strips down from behind where you see his balls hanging. Yeah, his ball bag right there. Uh, all I could think about when I saw that was the shot at the beginning where we see the dangling feet of Napoleon through the <laughs> the undercarriage of the throne. Foreshadowing. Definite foreshadowing, yes. His, his two feet kicking there with the two balls. <laughs> it's kind of like seeing a dark side of the moon. It's just something, you know, you don't, yeah, yeah. You don't usually see that view. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rarely do you see a beanbag from the front that's not your your own. But uh-huh. the, the, the the reverse beanbag, I mean, outside of uh, pornography where the camera's kind of behind the dude and they're doing some kind of doggy style, you just don't see it very much. You know, I, I imagine that women see that view a lot more often than men. Do they? Yeah. Because it's hard to see that angle on yourself, right? I guess it's true, but you kind of have to be a little standing with your feet apart and... <laughs> You I don't know. know how you stand, but that's <laughs> well, I my... tuck my balls up and behind no, at all times. It's the of course, way to this, keep them protected. This is the way the Bald Move podcasts go, even on the subject matter uh, as sensitive and dark as quills. Sure. Is it sensitive and dark? Oh, I think so, it is. I think it is. So, again, this is set in a mental institution. Joffrey Rush uh, plays. I thought he did very well this particular kind of insolence, um, intellectual... Mm-hmm. Uh, anti-censorship crusader, uh, Maquis de Sade version. Kate Winslet plays a washerwoman uh, mm. at the sanitarium, the asylum, which is a beautiful location. It's just really oh man, gothic kind of mansion, monastery deal. All uh, of the locations in this are incredible. I mean, Michael Caine's house uh, right. that, he, that he, when he comes to Paris, uh, or specifically to this insane asylum... His house is incredible. And this was made in the era before they filtered the shit out of everything. So, like, you feel like this, you're dealing with natural light and candlelight and firelight. Yeah. And when you're going outside, you don't, everything's not fantastic colors. It's kind of, I, I enjoyed that. Uh, the film looks great. Uh, uh, I talked about that. Joaquin Phoenix plays a uh, an ab- abbot, I guess mm-hmm. what you call it. They, they call him Abby. That's his title. Uh, Michael Caine plays a a doctor, and the main tension in the movie is between these these two these these this trio, and I guess it's a quartet with Kate Winslet that that uh, the Maquis the Maquis de Sade is kind of sort of crazy, or he kind of starts off sane, and he's just in the mental hospital as kind of a a, a joke, but he's gotten. He's kind of like uh, a gangster living in a penitent uh, a prison, but he's got the thing all set up the way he wants. He's got a nice yeah. writing desk. He's got books. He's got fine wine, and he's done that in the good graces of Joaquin Phoenix, right? And he you know? this this guy seems fairly progressive. Like you know, there's the, you've got a lot of crazy things in your head. You should get them out on paper. It's a nice outlet. In fact, it seems like he's taking that approach to all. 
He is. Of of the mentally ill patients that keep him involved in arts. And instead of uh, – there's a pyromaniac, mm-hmm. and he encourages him to draw these incredibly violent, provocative – I'm sorry, paint these incredibly violent, pro- provocative people uh, – p- pictures of people on fire and buildings on fire. Yeah. Because it's better than you know actually setting people on fire and hurting them. And he sure. gives qu- tons of quills and paper and ink, and the Marquis, Marquis de Sade just writes story after story of these. How would you describe them? They're they're kind of, the way this this film puts it out. They're more kind of naughty mm-hmm. than you know. They're they're than a just lot pure violence. And pure, yeah. there is definitely violence and blood, but it's yeah. it's. Kind of the They're taboo subjects, right? Like the you know the they're kind of like Penny Dreadfuls or pulp comics, you know, shocking and lurid. Yeah, and the people's the common people's reactions are they're they're titillated. They think it's funny. There I is, think we have a modern day equivalent in Fifty Shades of Grey. Fifty Shades to, of Grey. Gray. It's schlocky. It's yeah. kind of poorly written. Um, and but but the elites, it opens up with Napoleon, and he's um. I think that's another thing that happens throughout the movie. You've got these elite people that are dressed in this elaborate, elaborate fetish gear, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got furs on and this big, long train. He's got these guards in these foppy little costumes marching back and forth as his honor guard. Mm-hmm. They really play up the f- fact that Napoleon is this kind of diminutive character, which I think is ahistorical as well. But oh, potentially. None of this shit is real. Uh, if you want to learn about the real history, go to Wikipedia. Um, this is a review of the movie. Uh, but they, they contrast that their reaction, like he Napoleon's having this his latest book that's published anonymously, but it's kind of an open secret that it's coming from the Maquis de Sade. Yeah, he's having it read in his court, and they're just lurid details. And the guy reading is making his big show of, "Oh, do I have to go on?" And Napoleon's like, "Yes, continue reading." Yeah. Finally, he has enough, and he sends Michael Caine, uh, who is a physician, Dr. Uh, Roy Collar, mm-hmm. to – which we've established believes that you have to brutalize yeah. uh, patients, in, inmates, in asylums to get them to behave. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of interesting parallels between the two kind of sides that form here, um, between like Joaquin Phoenix and Michael Caine and just, you know – the Dassad and the powers that be that are trying to stop him from doing this. Uh, you mentioned how Napoleon's kind of having his his court read to him, uh, and and they know they all kind of know that they should stop and this is not proper, but they continue anyway because they're kind of intrigued. And sure. later on, you have Kate Winslet reading to I think it's her mother, the blind woman. Yeah, that's her. Yep, that's her, her, her actual her mother. mother. Uh, and her mother's like, oh no no no, I shouldn't be hearing this. This is so naughty. But keep going. Keep going. I want to hear it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so you can tell that there's this undercurrent of, like you said, curiosity and interest in this book throughout everyone in society. I remember reading a review from Roger Ebert uh, about – it wasn't about this uh, movie, although I did read his review on that as well, mm-hmm. uh, where he's talking about a particular – piece of lurid filmmaking and he's talking about there is a a right-wing christian uh banning and huffing and puffing and he's like you know the people that like this kind of thing like it for its period value the people that like to harumph and cluck and say how terrible it is they enjoy it on that level and a good time is had by all and i feel like that's part of you know the fun of reading some of this schlocky stuff Mm-hmm. Uh, is is kind of like oh my god it's so terrible but no don't stop keep reading it uh, 
Yeah, those taboo things are sometimes attractive. And it's harmless. Like, where? That's another question that this movie asks. It does. Yeah. What is art's responsibility to society at large? Yeah. Um, the Abbey says art should elevate the human condition. It shouldn't reduce it to this bestial stuff. And and uh, Michael Caine's character accuses the, the sod of all manner of things, being responsible for the deaths of people, being responsible for people setting things on fire. We hear, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's there's flash kind of like, not flashbacks, but snippets of people reading the books throughout France. And they're saying, did you hear that someone read this and strangled his wife and some, some mother read this and it caused yeah. a miscarriage? Uh, and that happens today, too. Like, you know, sure. Marilyn Manson makes a song. Some kids shoot up a school. It's his fault. There's also the other side of that that's brought out in this film where I I want to say it's Michael Caine's wife, uh, for, forcible wife. Yeah. Uh, but, so the, just just to explain but, that. But but she she at some point says if I uh, if I wasn't such a bad woman on the page, I couldn't be such a good woman in life. I think it's her. Who says no no that, no. Or that Kate was Maddie. Winslet. Kate Winslet's character, okay. Madeline. Yeah. Uh, so that's the other side of it, right? They're exploring these escapism. fantasies in the book so that they don't have to do them in real life to to experience them. Sure. Uh, that's the other interesting thing. So let's first of all, let's have this conversation. I am kind of the, from this, the, this, the Saad's way of thinking that mm-hmm. art has no obligation than to provoke an intellectual or an emotional response from the people viewing it. And it has no ob- – I mean – as as a video gamer, I also bristle at the notion that things can affect people. You know, uh, yes, there's been some people that played Doom or Counter-Strike or whatever and then shoot a school. But there's also been tens and hundreds of million people that have also played those games and not. Yeah. Get, these things don't make you crazy. But to a crazy person, they can pre- maybe influence how they act out. But I feel like the mm-hmm. acting out was probably inevitable. Sure. Uh, I'm also of that thinking. Uh, so I don't feel like art has any obligation to society whatsoever. And yeah. the idea that you would censor a piece of art because it's too harmful or or their people can't be trusted with this information or it's shocking or offensive is actually offensive to me. And I'm not even really that much of an artist. Yeah, yeah. I, I understand that. I I mean, the question, you know, is is the place of art also not to elevate society i i think that's a valid one as well i think you know it can do both i don't know that you have to limit it to that art can shot can hold a mirror up to society which sure. i think that's one of the things the beginning of the the sh- the movie is your the maquis de sad is kind of narrating over this woman who's you know uh she's standing there against the sky and then this man in a black leather mask, you know, kind of takes her and starts ripping her dress and then binds her. And you think it's like, oh, God. And it's it's very hammy. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, my I, God. I was like, oh, we're in for a Harlequin romance novel on the screen here. Or like 50 sh- – or a, sh- a bad yeah. Shakespeare in a park version of Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah, yeah. But then you find out that he's an executioner and she's being beheaded. And the, the Saad can see this from his, his prison tower window. Mm-hmm. So the stuff – and the, the – it's horrific when she like gets her head pushed in that device. You can see this basket full of severed heads, and they're putting headless bodies or just loading them up like firewood in a cart. And the bl- streets are literally running bl- red with blood. And this is happening thousands and thousands of times throughout France. 
is he really just holding up a mirror to the general populace and saying, this is the vile shit that you guys are getting up to? Yeah. And then you say, I'm the monster? Sure, that's super interesting because if you look at the end of the film, uh, and I, I guess we're going to jump around here because it's all entangled. Sure. Uh, when Joaquin Phoenix essentially turns into Desaad at the end in, yes. in losing his sanity, well, it's the repression of those ideas that drove him to it, ultimately. Right. Uh-huh. So what what is happening here is the art itself creating the monsters as as society sees them or is the repression of that art creating the monsters? That's a good question, because obviously we were even saying that the Maquis de Sade is not a crazy person in the beginning of the film. No, he's it's... unquestionably insane at the end. Yes. Uh, or maybe but, not. But But the reduction of his abilities to get the ideas out of his head is what drove him insane. And I don't even know that it's, it's insane, except for, or that he's just def, that defiant. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Throughout this film, that is the one theme of Desaad that he is. I, I he says it when they put him in the Iron Maiden, or when they're dunking him in the the water tank. Yeah, they're waterboarding the shit out of. Yeah, him. he basically says that this is just serving to strengthen my resolve. Right, and uh, I think that was kind of an interesting thing. This this uh, Michael Caine character, who I've never thought of him as like really creepy. Mm-hmm. But he really plays this creepy, horrific character. Yeah, he can do it. <laughs> this doctor where he's ordering the torture of these mentally ill people. And I'm uh, – that's one thing that's kind of the the one piece of horror that really got to me. Like when they shoved the crazy person into – it's not an Iron Maiden. But it's imagine like if you, if, if, if you took the shape of an Iron Maiden, it completely fits a torso perfectly. You made it yeah. out of like iron bars. So if you put someone in there, they just couldn't move. Yeah. I actually got a mild kind of panic attack just thinking about – imagine being locked in there for – It would be horrible. And, and not knowing when you're going to get out. It could be an hour. It could be a day. It could be however fucking long they wanted to because there's a whole writer math where presumably they could feed you and put water. Yeah. That would drive you crazy single-handedly or being waterboarded, not being questioned or anything, just being waterboarded for however long a person wants to. Yeah. And ask the question of like – this Michael Caine character, uh, this doctor, who's the more perverse one? I mean, obviously the film has a strong opinion because not only is this guy doing this to mentally ill people, he's put himself in a position where he can be a real-life Desaad, but also he uh, uses his wealth and power to marry a woman that's barely 16 years old that's been raised as an orphan in a, a nunnery. I don't know what mm-hmm. the hell you actually call it, a, 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 a coven. <laughs> yeah, uh, a coven of I, witch nuns. <laughs> I don't know what you call that. She's a beautiful 16-year-old girl, but he takes her and violently rapes her on their first night together. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a sick dude. Absolutely. Um, he, he uses... I, I think you said it well when you said that he is basically Desaad uh, released uh, from prison, right? He's, he's torturing people. Uh, he doesn't have the same sexual fantasies, I guess, mingled in that violence but he definitely has violent tendencies. Uh, and he's he's not only using that... Like, I, I find him a far more despicable character than Desaad. Certainly. Easily. Um, because he's using that for personal gain. I mean, we see him building a career, uh, a very lucrative one, apparently, from torturing people. Like, people who are viewed to be deviant or insane in some way, he tries to torture that out of them. Also, we find very early on he buys this mansion of a former a former uh-huh. uh aristocratic family that's you can still see the blood of the fam you know yeah 
the, the, the blood of the people that were massacred there and drugged downstairs are still, when he moves in and he moves his young wife in there. And he tells the young architect, who's played by Stephen Moyer, to indulge her in anything. We're going to quarry fresh marble. We're going to fix this up. Uh, but he bought it for pennies on the dollar on the backs of you know this, this deposed aristocracy. Mm-hmm. But he also gives one creepy detail that he specifies, which is he wants the door to his wife's room to lock from the outside because she's a rare bird and I intend to, I tend to keep her caged. Yeah. I, I think that there, you say it's not sexual. I think, no, there's a no, total right. kink that he's got there. The fact that he has uh, Madeline, because Madeline's role yeah. in all this is she's helping Desaad get his, in, his stories out and published. Mm-hmm. And he has her stripped down to the waist and then whipped at one point to keep her from doing this. Um, interestingly enough, these things are selling like hotcakes in the streets of France. That's the thing. That's where I was kind of going with this is that in the end, he uses those tortured inmates to disseminate the very book that he was so violently opposed to with the side. That's the twist at the end after these people are dead. Uh, and after... that's really, I mean, to me more than anything, that makes him the villain of this. I mean, you can, you can torture the people, whatever. You're a bad guy. Yeah. Then you're so cynical, you're it's such this... a bastard that you're turning around and you're you're profiting off of the very same thing. It's a cynical hypocrisy. It's yeah. one thing if you're a true dyed in wool crusader that maybe uh, you know because yeah, I can almost understand that. You see these characters like, for example, Joaquin Phoenix at the end where he's forced because, by this guy because this guy's threatened. Like, if you can't get this under control, I'm going to take it over and I'm going to burn it down. And he's like, what happens to the hundreds of inmates aren't the sod? They're yeah. affected by this and would be brutalized. So he does. A, he carries a lot of this guy's water for him, and, and he it drives him crazy. And at the end, uh, after uh, there's this one point, uh, I, I can't remember exactly where it is, but you can see him like flogging himself on the back. Yeah, yeah. Like if a character like that who is bru- and you see that throughout fiction, the guys that wear the hair shirts, the guys that wear those little you know uh, barbed garters that bite into their skin and they flagellate themselves. If he's brutalizing people in the name of God, it's one thing. Because at least he's a true believer and he's applying it to himself. A guy like Michael Caine, <laughs> yeah, yeah. who is profiting from it. Um, interestingly enough, the guy uh, who directed this film and uh, created it, uh, Philip Kaufman, who's mostly known for adapting works of literature. Uh, Tom Wolfe's The Right Stuff, he won a couple Academy Awards for, Unbearable Lightness of Being. He directly wanted to make a parallel between this doctor, uh, Roy Kalar, and Kenneth Starr. Do you remember who yeah, that yeah. is? Kenneth Starr's the lawyer the, on uh, Bill Clinton's case. The special yeah. invet- or special prosecutor. Yeah, and, some bullshit. <laughs> and he's so he, the, the whole thing with Bill Clinton. And I don't want to get super political, but Bill Clinton was impeached over lying to Congress about getting a blowjob and a couple other sex acts. And this yeah, yeah. case went on and on in U.S. media. And Kenneth Starr is like, I want to, you know, bring this, you know, immoral and this, this guy's a liar. But one thing he did in his reports is he dribble out lurid details of the the Clinton sex life. And there is a little bit of that in this Kalar, this this uh, Roy Kalar character. Yeah, you know that he. Uh, hilariously, when he first shows up, uh, Desaad kind of sees who he is, and he hears these rumors that are spread throughout the village of this child bride that he's got, and he he does these unspeakable perversions to. 
they have a theater where the mentally ill kind of like put on little plays that the Desaad, the Saad character puts on. Uh-huh. He actually makes one that is the real life story <laughs> of this Roy Kalar and, and reenacts it right in front of him. Yep. And just the balls on him to do that. And it that. brings the house down too. Like most of the people there were cheering at the end. Yeah. Cause Loved it, it. And it was, it was kind of funny in its way. Oh, um, certainly. And there yeah. was a lot of stuff that's funny. Like the, the necrophilia. Um, there, sure. there's this, uh, and, uh, <laughs> She's reading this to her mother, and she's like, yeah, he paid her his highest uh, compliment that she was worth the dig. Yeah. Um, wow. It's just ludicrous things, like digging up a 12-year-old, a, a corpse that's been in the ground at 12 years old and fucking it. I mean, yeah. uh, all kinds of crazy stuff. But unfortunately, what happens is this Joaquin Phoenix character, the Abbey, has to progressively take more and more things away. First, he takes away the guy's quills. Yep. So then he comes. What's um, then he takes away his well, bedding because so, he starts writing on the bedding with wine. He takes a chicken bone of wine and writes on the sheets. Mm-hmm. Uh, he takes that away. Then he takes he he pricks his finger and all of his fingers actually yeah. and writes in his own blood all over his clothes. Mm-hmm. And then after they take him away, uh, they take that away from him and he's he's there's nothing left in his room and he's nude. He gets the idea that he's going to tell us a story. To Madeline, who's been kept away from him on the other side of the castle, and they punched holes through all their cells, and he tells this this latest story, his masterwork, and they play a game of telephone. Like he mm-hmm. he whispers it into an inmate's ear who runs across his room, whispers it into another, and there's this really good scene where he's like, "Oh my god, my prose is being filtered through the the mentally ill," and then he's like, <laughs> "Actually, that might make it better." <laughs> She's listening after they stop from that. They cut his tongue out. Yeah. And they put him in this horrific dungeon cellar. Then he he writes his final masterpiece with his own shit on the walls. Yep. Uh, and then he 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 dies. He almost feels to me more tortured than he is uh, insane or depraved. Because it's like he's, he's got these thoughts that he needs to either act or write out. Yeah, and he's he's not being allowed to do that. He seemed okay while he was writing. What do you think? Because it's unquestionable that this guy is a narcissist. He's selfish. He yeah, yeah. is very improper with the way he deals with Kate Winslet's character. Sure. Um, there's a lot of artists that are like that. You know, today okay. we actually have one of uh, uh, two two respected filmmakers, or I'm not going to mention. One is accused of, of of raping his daughter, and another is. Um, you know, accused of sodomizing a 13-year-old back in the 60s or 70s. How, I mean, that's what, another thing the film kind of touches on, of, of what kind, what are we willing to put up from artists? Because it seems like that these these eccentricities kind of go hand in hand with a lot of artists. Sure, sure. Uh... I mean, I'm not condoning, and I personally do not lie. I've uh, it's changed the way I view their works, but it happens a lot. And is it is it the gifts that they have that make them do this thing, or the fact that the people blow sunshine up in their ass because of their success that then enables them to think that they can do whatever the fuck they want? It seems to me like a lot of great art is made from the the removal of restrictions on on thinking right mm. i mean drugs you know, certainly alcohol yeah um, life terrible life experience 
So when you, you take that to its logical conclusion, you can certainly get things that are outside of the social norm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's society, really, and societal expectations and, and norms uh, and the status quo that keeps us all from doing a lot of things that are probably not proper but might be floating around in people's heads. Right. So you remove those, you get some edgy stuff, which is what we tend to hold valuable in our art, hmm. um, just different ways of thinking uh, things that people are not typically thinking about um, or different ways of describing the things that people are thinking about. So I could definitely see like people who are just naturally inclined to not give a shit what other people think being those great artists. Yeah, it does seem, though, that the people that I'm talking about, um, they're doing these things after they become powerful and famous. Sure. So I feel like that they're... It's one thing to take pain and pathos and drugs and use that to fuel your work, but it's another thing to then use your influence and power uh, over those that have none to take advantage of them. And I feel like sure. Desaad was more of the latter than he was of the former. I mean, he is a rich aristocrat who's married to a wife, yeah. who, and I, you know, I, I just thought that that was another interesting thing. So was Michael Caine. So was uh, interesting enough. Desaad, I felt like disliked the meddling of both the uh, Roy Collard character and the Abbey. Like the Abbey sure. set a record for how many times a human being can be spit upon. <laughs> and he, yeah. uh, I, he did not respect the, the Abbey's religion. He did not um, moderate his own behavior, even though it's clearly affecting those in the, in, in the insane asylum and the Abbey himself. He mm-hmm. doesn't give a shit about him. He didn't give a shit about the doctor. He really only cared about himself and getting his own genius recognized. Sure. I mean, that's never better on display than it is in the scene where he's uh, doing this telephone game and shit goes horribly wrong. He incited all of those people to those acts through his words, right? Yeah. I mean, you can see the the big dude at the door uh, looking through, unpacking the door, the stones off the door, Mm -hmm. and getting more and more involved in this story and looking at Kate Winslet and just uh, getting more and more riled up as he hears the words of Desaad. Mm-hmm. So I, you can certainly like go back to that video game analogy and say that Desaad's words and those ideas inspired those people to do those horrible things, but they're kind of fucked up people to begin with. Yeah, that's true. That's that's where it comes in. <laughs> what the, the other thing I, I thought was interesting is I thought this was going to be a very clear, you know, uh, kind of a triumph for the Desaad, uh because you could see that uh, he, this Roy Collard, uh, Michael Caine character, he's keeping his wife in this prison. Uh, she's clearly taking a fancy to the young architect who's uh, Vampire Bill from True Blood, and she uses, she's kind of sneaks away from the house and buys one of the banned books from Desaad and uh, rip, rips a cover of a book of classical poetry and glues it in there. Mm-hmm. And she's reading this right in front of Michael Caine in bed at night, and she's just pouring over it. She's got it memorized. She then, which was a really gutsy move, reveals this to the architect, yeah. who could have just been like, you're a whore, you're a slut, I'm going to turn you into your husband. But instead, he decides that uh, he's got the hots for her too, and they indulge in all kinds of lovemaking while the doctor's away. And yep. then they, I thought that the revenge was going to be the fact that his young wife leaves her. And they left this epic kind of you know note about, hey, you know your house has been complete. 
you'll find one thing missing, your wife. Oh, by the way, we fucked on your bed and we left a big puddle of goo uh, in, on, on your nice marble as a way to remember us by. Yeah. But then, th- arguably, Roy Collard wins. He takes over the asylum. The Abbey's insane. The Sod uh-huh. is dead. He's making money off his works posthumously. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a downer of a Braveheart ending. Yeah, for sure. Uh, how I don't know how I felt about the way the movie ends. I mean, it's certainly great and entertaining, but it's one of those kind of, wow, the bad guy just wins. Doesn't learn a damn thing. Yeah, I feel like the only good, the only way for the good guy to win in this would be if Joaquin and Kate Winslet hooked up. Right, they they yeah. seem to be the the characters who were the most innocent in this whole thing. And you know, that's when you see a good looking guy like Joaquin, and he's playing a young priest, and he's clearly chastely in love with this woman, and she's in love with him, mm. but he can't act on it. Like he, he, she starts to kiss him, and he just fucking it shakes him to his core, and he throws her out of his room. Uh, that is an unnatural relationship every bit as weird as anything that the sod is talking about <laughs> like that's a good point yeah. um maintaining a uh it's one thing i know there's like in the span in the spectrum of human sexuality there's asexual people uh-huh. okay whatever but to tell a person that you have to be celibate for some kind of religious reasons that is a, that's it's that's the definition of unnatural you want to have sex you could have sex you have a person who wants to have sex with you but you don't yeah, he's he is the character in this who is willfully working against his nature, right? Yeah, true. I mean, Desad is everybody else wants is giving to work in. toward his nature. Yeah, uh, Michael Caine is is actively working toward sure. his nature. It it feels like he's he's the only character who gives that up. Also, that was interesting. And in the end, it drives him insane. <laughs> How in the 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 first of the movie, the insane asylum is very harmonious. Yeah. I mean, everybody's painting and they're doing whatever the medieval version, not medieval, but uh, <laughs> uh, 17th century French version of yoga in the yard and, and everyone's calm. And, you know, he can, even the dangerous inmates, he can kind of tell them to mind their manners and they, they go about their business. Yeah. As, as the doctor more and more brutalizes them, things get more and more out of control until the end, it's literal bedlam where shit's being set on fire people are being raped people are being murdered then in the end of the movie the inmates are all at peace again but they are almost turned into industrial automatons they're put to the task of making these books i felt like there's something symbolic too about the you know there's two there, there there's equilibrium at both ends from complete oppression and also you know uh you've, you've got individual expression and you got complete repression in the middle of those two extremes is anarchy. Am I well, on to something the, there? That's the thing, though. I mean, the, the idea that Michael Caine came in and re-civilized these people, it, it it's only by the grace of them having not been inspired by Desaad that they hadn't burned down the sanitarium before, Right. Because it's it's him that drives that that entire series of events. But I don't know because what what we're seeing decide is one small window into this. And again, it's like I don't. And giving, I'm uncomfortable Desaad, saying that he inspired them. I think he did, but I think he was driven to it. And left to his own devices, those words would not have reached those people. Um, 
or or it certainly wouldn't have affected them in that way. And I think once they started cracking down on Desaad, it drove him to more desperate measures, well, indeed, which the, then involved the other the other inmates. The straw that broke the camel's back is when the, the prisoners had made those holes between their yeah. quarters. The pyromaniac obviously not allowed to have fire. Sure. There's one – his neighbor had a candle burning so he could see, and he snatched that and then set his bed on fire. Because he was excited by this, this book. That, that and also I think – the fact that he had fire readily available with no one to stop him. Certainly. That's, that's again, I'm kind of uncomfortable saying it's Desaad's fault. Yeah, yeah. The movie, you could argue both ways. And even even Desaad, uh, right before he got his tongue cut out, he's like, you know, because uh, he, he, he's like, you, it's your fault this woman died. It's your fault this place is on fire. And he's like, oh, baloney. If people read the Bible and one of these crazy people tried to walk on wire and, water and drowned, he wouldn't blame Jesus. Yeah. Um, And so... I, I don't know. That's I think it, it's interesting because it's funny how you said it's like, well, he inflamed them yet or it, he drove them to it. Yet we open the podcast out both saying that we don't believe that's true. Sure, sure. But I'm I'm obviously people are mentally deranged in the first place. Ah. So the the people that we're talking about, you know, playing a video game and going crazy. Those people are already deranged like these people are. Hmm. So, like, I don't know if the film is trying to say that these works in the wrong hands are bad and that some amount of censorship is good, but they've gone too far in the film. Mm. I, I'm I'm not certain uh, what the, the takeaway should be there. Okay. And I think, you know, with, with any piece of art, the takeaway is what you take away, right? <laughs> it's not what the piece of art is trying to say. Um, it's what it means to you. Did you know that um, the woman who played the Marquise de Sade's wife, uh, her name's Jane uh, Menelas, I believe as I pronounce it, but God knows I could be butchering it. Did you know that that was Joff- Joffrey Rush's real life wife? Uh, not until you told me, no. Uh, I thought that her roles were kind of interesting. She seemed like she was clearly in love with him, but also over his shit. And also mm-hmm. he his frustration from not being able to have the outlet caused him to kind of be abusive. Yeah, because she indulged him, and she got him these exotic dildos and these uh-huh. crazy ass things he kept in his Even room. Even though it was humiliating for her. Well, uh, that felt a little bit like sexy play to them. Okay, and that that was like something that normally excited him. The fact that she'd have to go out and buy these things from merchants and well, yeah, be called I mean, a whore I, and a slut. I mean, she says that. Yeah, right? yeah, but yeah. I feel like she got off on that as well. Okay. And she was more mad at him kind of rebuffing her advances. And now she, he was just completely uh, selfish before she gave him up. Um, one thing I also found in kind of researching and reading about this is before they settled on Joaquin Phoenix, uh, the casting people were looking at Jude Law, Guy Pierce, and Billy Crudup. I don't know who that last one is. Uh, Dr. Manhattan from the, okay. um, and he's been in a couple other things, but that's the one that I, I recognized him for. Jude, I can see all of these guys. I, I can see Jude Law definitely, but and Guy Pierce really brings the crazy. Uh-huh. I think they made a good choice because Joaquin can be that, can bring the, the the sweetness and the light and the darkness and the craziness. Yeah, yeah, he's he's got um, you know Jude Law is like just almost too good looking to play a really crazy person. Yeah how how do you think how do you think he doesn't does in Homeland? Homeland? Who the hell are you? What? Or, sorry, no, no, no. I'm thinking of uh, the other Kate Winslet movie. Um, Contagion? Is that it? 
Have you I seen don't, Contagion? No, I don't think I've seen Contagion. Okay. The other Kate Winslet movie with him is The Holiday, and I'm like, he doesn't no, play no, no, a crazy no. person at all. No, no, no. This is uh, Kate Winslet, Lawrence Fishburne, and Jude Law. And he plays someone who's, who is potentially crazy. Uh, and I thought he did a fair job there. So I think Jude Law could have pulled it off, maybe not as well as Joaquin Phoenix, I, which who I thought did a fantastic job. He's a fantastic – yeah, Jude Law's a fantastic He's, actor. Well, I, so is Guy Pearce. Specifically who I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. No, I think I think they made the right choice, obviously. It's yeah. interesting to see when you – you know, it's kind of like uh, Indiana Jones – Tom Selleck almost got caught and cast in that role. How would that essentially Oof. change the character? Yeah. I'm not even thinking it's it's hard to even say better or worse. It's just, you know, different. Like, you know, mm. we hear uh Walter White is obviously Brian Cranston, but um who was the who we were talking about who else almost got cast as that before it was Brian Cranston? God damn it. Is Ferris Bueller was one of them. Oh, Jesus. Um, or no, it wasn't Ferris Bueller. Matthew Broderick. Oh, shit. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I. they also, I think Roger Ebert said in his review that this is a role, um, the, I think he was talking about the Michael Caine role, is a role that you could see like Willem Dafoe playing, um, or someone who brings a little oh, more... This- Oh, intense insanity. You mean the Desaad character? The, he, yes, he yes, mentioned that was could be Willem Willem Dafoe or um, uh, Christopher Walken. Yeah, yeah. I a little more intensity in his insanity. I feel like Joffrey Rush can play the insane person, and he also is a lot more capable of being playful about being hammy. Sure. Like, yeah. I feel like that's where Walken couldn't necessarily do it, <laughs> and Willem Dafoe either. Uh, he, he, I mean, Desaad was very likable. Yeah. Even when he was doing fairly despicable or gross things, he still, he just had this kind of, uh, I, I can't, like a charm or... Yeah, he's got charisma. Like Benny Hill. Poetic way of speaking and... Yeah, like Benny Hill is another way. It's like this, like an old lecher type that is yeah, yeah. seemingly. It's like they can get it's away with things because they're just more seem like they're harmless. Yeah, yeah. They're they're like a harmless type kook rather than a scary date rapey type kook. Sure. So even though you know Desaad, I don't think is that character. That's yeah. kind of how he's portrayed in this film. So. Yeah, I mean, he's a leering, kind of winking, come sit on my lap and give me a kiss for every page. Yeah, but then I'm See gonna... how far I can push you, but I ultimately respect your limit. Sure, that doesn't strike me as a real Desaad, who no. is a murderer. Right, as far <laughs> a, as I can tell. A sexual deviant to the point of killing people. Yeah, just to see what it feels like. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, no, I totally. Uh, Which have... I would buy if you were going more realistic, Willem Dafoe, as that. Sure, he could... You know, or he could uh, play a sexual deviant to the point of Malcolm McDowell, dangerous. Caligula. I, oh, yeah, Clockwork Orange. That's yeah. a guy who could be the real life Marquis de Sade for sure. Uh, do we have anything else we want to talk about? I feel like we've, I think that's about it. I totally I, I really enjoyed it. It's it's an entertaining movie. It's it's a thought provoking movie. Yes. It's not something you can watch with the kids around, <laughs> uh, clearly, but uh, sure, definitely a good time. Me too. Uh, thank you very much for uh, uh, sponsoring this, uh, commissioning it, Carolina. I uh, hope we've done one of your favorite films, Justice. Again, if you'd like to find out how you can do, uh, how you can uh, uh, commission your own content, you can do it at subbable.com slash baldmove. we got another one probably coming out next week yep. that I'm excited about. And until then, 
I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim.